For some time now, Chinese money has quietly been moving into places like Silicon Valley, investing in high-tech auto companies. Should the U.S. be worried? That's today's issue on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to welcome you all to AutoLine This Week. You know, it was in the 1970s and the 1980s that Japanese automakers made big inroads into the American market. It was in the 1990s and the 2000s when it was the Koreans' turn. Coming up next, you know it's got to be the Chinese. That's what we're talking about today. Our special guest is Michael Dunn. He's an author, he's a consultant, he's an expert on the Chinese market. Michael, great to have you back on AutoLine. Terrific to be here, John. Also joining us today, uh, Michelle Krebs. She's an analyst with AutoTrader. And Joe White is with Reuters, and great to have the both of you here, too. So, Michael, did I get that right? Uh, The Chinese, they got to be, or at least certain of the Chinese car companies have got to be, got a plan of getting into the American market. They're not coming, John. They're already here. Uh, $5 billion in investment by suppliers alone into the Midwest, sometimes acquiring U.S. companies, sometimes coming in alone. That's one channel. Separately on the West Coast, out in California, Internet companies are sinking billions of dollars into startups to build premium electric and autonomous vehicles. It's happening at breakneck speed. And the background is China accumulated vast wealth with its own auto market. Now its companies have the money, have the confidence and the capital to come here to the United States. And when do you think we'll see Chinese branded vehicles in American showrooms? All right, so we're already seeing small numbers of, for example, BYD is in California producing buses, $500,000 buses, selling them to Stanford University, Long Beach. Electric buses. Electric buses. We're seeing small numbers of Karma, formerly Fisker, being produced in, in, in California as well. So small is already here. I think what you're after is the big number, guys. Uh, that will come, look for 2020, and they'll come in and slug it out like the Koreans and the Japanese did on the low end, but that's a long road. They've got to win the trust of U.S. customers, parts and service, brand reputation, all the rest. Hmm. We heard you speak earlier this week, and uh, I I thought you kind of connected all the dots for us. Um, Could you talk about, like, the Internet money, Mm -hmm. that that's where the money's coming from in China, just as we're seeing, like, with Google and Apple? With Google and Apple, Mm -hmm. that's right. So 2010, the leadership in China said, you know what, we have an opportunity to be number one globally in electric cars. Uh, We don't want to learn diesel and gasoline from the global automaker. We want to take leadership. How are we going to do that? Well, our state enterprises haven't been very good at being creative and innovation. Let's go to the internet guys who made billions. They know these technology. Maybe they can get us there. So about two and a half years ago, they gave an opening to to the internet companies for the first time, said, you want to come and play in the auto industry? Come on. And what did the internet guys go? Okay, if you want us to do this right, we're going to California because that's where the gold mine is. And so that's what we've seen exactly happen. So, Michael, in, in California, as you pointed out, there, there's, there's very relatively small-scale investments, including in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering if you think at, 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 at some point will Chinese automakers or the Western companies that Chinese automakers mm-hmm. own, like Volvo, mm-hmm. um, um, really look at the United States as kind of a volume manufacturing platform. Do um, you think that's something they want to do? you think something something that they will do? Um, just curious of what you Including see Volvo, you mentioned. Well, and Volvo, yeah. I know, is, starting, is going to start up a plant in South Carolina. Yes. So um, we shouldn't forget that Volvo is f- fundamentally a Chinese company. Right? Yes, but yes. It, uh, just What do you think they're kind of the game plan 
for, for, for coming into this market would, would be if, if they really have one? Their number one preference would be to manufacture in China and export to the United States. But today, 2017, that's probably not going to happen anymore. And they realize yeah. that to Why play, do you say that? President Trump. Yes. Reciprocity. U.S., when U.S. automakers go to China, they've got to build their cars in China if they want with to sell a partner. With, a partner, with a partner, no less. And that partner has to have 50% or more. Mm -hmm. Chinese companies today can either export from China, very low risk, or they can even own 100% of their operation in the United States. I think uh, the new administration will say, you want to sell your cars here, you build them here. That's the biggest change in the equation. And that's not, but that's no, so that's a, that's a barrier to entry. It was for the Chinese, uh, the Japanese mm -hmm. to some extent, although they, they overcame. Scale, right? Right, mm -hmm. but, how, but I guess I'm wondering how big a barrier to entry is it really? Um, is it is it, is it going to give the U.S. producer, the, the incumbent producers, 10 more years to figure it out? Or do you think it will be easier for the, ch the Chinese companies to get in here and, and, and essentially do that? There's so much capital uh, available in China that making several billion dollar investments into, say, Michigan or Ohio, they've got suppliers in place. Mm -hmm. Not too far to imagine it can happen. Especially if they took, uh, you know, what is called in the industry a knockdown kit. Yes. So you make all the parts in China, you put them in a crate, you ship yes. them to America. Americans bolt them together. That's right. But guess what? The labor cost is about equal to the shipping cost, so you come out even, Stephen. That's right. Is that still true, though? Because one of the things we talked about it, the mm -hmm. your, your speech the other day is that wages are going up in, they, in China. So they are going up, and the Chinese manufacturers are turning even to automation. You know, ironically, so. Wages are going up. They're finding cheaper wages inland still, mm -hmm. so there's some cushion from them there. And the other thing in play, and this is something the Trump administration will pay a lot of attention to, is the state enterprises get direct and indirect subsidies from the government. Right. Uh -huh. There's lots of room for play there. Talk a little bit about, and I, I think you've, you're, you're pretty familiar with the Volvo uh, Geely relationship yes. and Lincoln Co., uh, yes. their, their new brand. Um, but I'm wondering how... Well, first, I'd be interested in hearing your take on Lincoln Co., but really what I want to know is Volvo and Geely was sort of the first kind of large, to me, first large-scale kind of integration of a Chinese and, and a Western auto mm -hmm. company, right? Mm -hmm. um, my sense was that early on, there were a lot of cultural issues yes. there. Yes. Um, but that was early on. Where are we now, do you think? And, and what does Link say, Lincoln Co. say about the matru maturity of that relationship? Volvo's doing better than ever. Great products. XC90 was truck of the year last year. Record sales, I think it's record profits. And the key has been that Chairman Lee Shufu from Geely has said, I understand for this thing to go really well, it has to be Swedish European management. And that's worked, that formula has worked. And he stepped back and said, you guys are flourishing, you're doing a good job. Trust built, and as a result of that trust, they formed this new company called CEVT, China, Europe, technology, um, uh, sorry, China, Europe vehicle technology, CEVT, based in Sweden, Chinese engineers, Swedish engineers, European engineers coming together to build this Lincoln Co. brand. And it looks and feels and appears really good. Um, combining the low-cost engineering mindset of the Chinese with the refinement and the vision and the flair of Europeans. And how important is... We talked, to, I, mean, I think you mentioned Chinese brands or we mentioned Chinese brands. How important is it, do you think, for the Chinese automakers to basically say, look, you're right, we, you know, we don't 
brands we don't really know how to do very well. We don't well. get brands. Uh-huh. We don't get brands. Uh-huh. And I, maybe that's a wrong statement to make, but I'm just wondering what you think about their, as the, what's their view of brands now. Because early on it seemed like, well, we're going we're gonna to get our brands, we're going to put our brands in the West uh-huh. just like right. Toyota did. It's like, don't know about that. Right. There is a difference between, for example, private Chinese companies who are getting branding. For, for example, Faraday Future, from a branding perspective, looks terrific. So does NextEV, another California company. Um, Geely's come a long way. Uh, Lincoln Co. looks excellent. So those are private. The ones that look clunky still are the state enterprises. For example, I mentioned that Guangzhou Auto uh, was at the auto show, and the brochure says Guangzhou Auto, Trump Chi. By the way, it says uh, go further and see farther. That's their tagline. Now, that's way too familiar for Americans. Wait, mm-hmm. isn't that somebody else's yeah. tagline? Yeah. Yeah. But with a blue oval, yeah. yeah. Blue oval. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you, you, so the privates are getting there more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, I think your point is, they may just acquire some brands. Well, let's talk about that because yeah. Guangzhou builds cars for Fiat Chrysler yeah. and Honda and others. So they've got some experience. You know, Sergio Marchion, the CEO of FCA, is waving a flag saying, anybody want to merge with yeah. me or buy me out? That's right. Guangzhou would seem to be the perfect partner. Yeah. Would a Trump administration allow that to happen, to have a Chinese car company? Well, I guess FCA is not American anymore. Right. Right. Well, it's British or Italian or Dutch or whatever it is. But if your point is, would that be a political problem? I think that still applies mm. in okay. this case. So anyway, I'd, what do you, yeah, yeah, what what do you, do you think? think the likelihood yeah. Let's put it is. this way. If, Guang, if Guangzhou Auto was based in Canada, it wouldn't be an issue. You want to buy FCA? Terrific. Let's go. Uh, that Guangzhou is for Chinese and a state enterprise with all kinds of connections back to the central government. Wait a second. Who's buying our company? Actually the people in Beijing who are running the country. That's going to be very sensitive still. So, uh, but I, you could see them saying, I'd like to buy the Jeep brand. I don't want to buy your whole company. Just oh, the- <laughs> I think Trump would let them buy FCA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they ain't gonna the touch Jeep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Be the other way around. Right, the other way around. <laughs> yeah, right. The Chinese would love to have Jeep because the SUV market in China is booming and it's gonna grow up. There's eight million SUVs sold in China last year, eight million. Uh, so they would kill to own the Jeep brand. I understand that probably won't happen, but that's where their eyes are right now. Let me ask you something that, that I've wondered about for a while and not really figured out how to put together. I mean, the Chinese auto market is now what twenty-seven million vehicles a year. It's 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 way 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 the biggest, uh-huh. um, and yet it doesn't still doesn't seem as if particularly the the uh, Western automakers have readjusted their sort of focus, uh, their view of the world and their, and their capital investment mm-hmm. focus to match that reality. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Wrong or right? Or do they need, is there need to be even more of a tilt towards sort of, okay, we've, we build for China and then we figure out how to sell that elsewhere instead of the other mm-hmm. way around, which is kind of what they've done up until now. It is the biggest market in the world and should command the attention, first attention of designers, engineers, Let's build a product for the biggest market, just as Japan has done for the U.S., Korea has done, everyone's done for the U.S. It's a different time now. So, uh, and that we can only own, we as foreigners can only own 15, 50% of our venture, all the more reason to fortify whatever we have there and dig in as deeply as we can, take care of the customers, excellent service, that kind of thing. So, yes, I agree. Put more emphasis on China first because it is the number one market and our Standing there as foreigners is precarious. How so? What do you mean? Explain that. Well, as, you, as we talked about, you can, as a foreign company, you can never own more than 50% of a car 
manufacturing in China. That's the rules. And China last December said, we're not going to change that rule. Uh, thought about it, not going to change it. If you're an American or a German or a Japanese, what can you possibly take away from that message? I am a minority player here, subject to the whims of the government and my partner at any time. Maybe a license isn't approved. Maybe a new product isn't approved. I'm here in a very vulnerable position. And as Chinese brands get stronger, and they're getting stronger, Chinese customers will start to float, move away from the global brands and say, hey, the Great Wall's not bad. The BYD will do for me. That's the risk. Because it seems like up until now, the, there was kind of a mutually assured destruction sort of deal. If they yeah. pulled the plug on the ventures, the technology, the know-how, the branding went out, walked, you know, right. got on the boat along with all the rest and of it. And the profits. And the profits. Yeah. Um, but maybe not forever. It's, it's, it's shifting. You can feel it when you're in China. That In particular, SUV segment is a great illustration of that. Last year, for the first time, Chinese SUV brands outsold global brands. So you're seeing a, in the numbers that the Chinese brands are coming up the consumers are moving and saying, yeah, that's, the quality's okay, it's all right. And with just, if you look at Japan, you look at Korea, it's hard to think China would do things differently, you know. Doesn't mean China, I don't believe China will come out and say, all you foreign companies, go home. Mm -hmm. It'll be more a case of marginalizing their presence and, uh, as, as the Chinese brands rise. Let's go back to uh, Chinese companies coming to America. Uh, Link and Company, mm -hmm. and I think they're going to get sued if they try to bring that name to the American market. I mean, Link and Company is just too close to Link and Company, Lincoln company. Right. and sued for the way they're going yeah. about business. So, right. so, you know, step number one, change your name. Mm -hmm. Step number two is they said they don't want to use dealers. They want to sell, and not even lease and sell cars. They want to give you a subscription model, just like getting a telephone. Yeah. You pay a monthly fee, and that's that. What's your sense of it? Is that going to work in the U.S. market? Is, is the, the National Auto Dealers Association going to mm -hmm. let this happen? Is the Trump administration going to let that happen? What about this end run around dealers? Uh, my sense is that they'll, for them, the U.S. will be an experiment, and they'll have that experiment in California and hope that the California way is more accepting than the rest of America and that they'll find um, some relief from government Say, oh, you're experimenting with a different, uh, Tesla does this, oh, yeah, okay, go ahead. But it'll be California first to see whether or not they can gain traction and then move from there. On the, on the name, I do understand that they plan to change it fairly rapidly to just link. So they get rid of the Enco or Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. There, there's obviously a tremendous pollution problem in mm -hmm. um, China. Mm -hmm. There's a push towards electric vehicles. Here they don't sell that well. Mm -hmm. So everybody's been looking to China as the tipping point for making yes. that work. Can you kind of talk about that, the whole electric vehicle? Right. Problem? 2010, they set this vision to lead in electrics. They said by 2015, we want to sell 500,000 a year. They got there last year, 500,000. Oh. And they hope to get to 2 million a year by 2020. Those are the targets. And somehow China manages it. Uh, the tougher news for China is most of those cars are very cheap, um, n not reliable, uh, the um, range is limited, and so individual Chinese buyers really haven't bought in. At least half of those electric vehicles are sold to state enterprises or taxi fleets or yes. others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's government, subsidizing government with heavy cash backs and things like that mm -hmm. that's really propelling demand so far. 
we haven't seen it taken hold with the individuals. Um, that's in part why the internet billionaires who are building quality electrics are also setting up manufacturing in China to, to start on the high end, like a Tesla, and then, then move down. So that's... that's well, a, and that's a, in contrast to what they're doing in California with electric vehicles. They're going very high end. Yes, that's right. So China's got the volume, but doesn't have the quality or the technology, um, just as you say. Yeah. Why would they do this, go to the California? I mean, Faraday talked about building a three million square foot uh, plant, a yeah. billion bucks. They've never built a car in their lives, uh -huh. and they're going right to a billion dollar plant. Now they're scaling way back. They're running into cash problems. Faraday Future, same sort of business plan. You know, Tesla's out there right now by itself. It's struggling to make money. Yes. Now, Mercedes, BMW, Audi, Porsche, Cadillac, and Lincoln probably yeah. are going to jump in with their own electric cars. Now you've got Faraday Future and Next EV and all. Yeah. The market's not big enough. I no, mean, these is, things are going to fail. It, it, they're going to fail, and Faraday Future's already in a precarious situation financially. One of the things to keep an eye on is California might become an R&D center for them. They do the production back in China with the support of government and protected and nurtured in their home market. So maybe that's what they have their eye on. California as a R&D center and get, get the market back home. I don't, I don't know if this is something you've looked at, but, but I mean, the key to all of this, right, is our, our batteries. Yes. And uh, to what extent do you see that the, the, all this investment and this activity also you know, spilling into the question of how do we get a better battery, yeah. uh, presumably a better Chinese battery mm -hmm. from that point of view? Mm -hmm. Uh, they've made movement on that. Just last summer, until last summer, like with automakers, battery makers had to be joint ventures, and the Chinese side had to own a majority. They were going nowhere with battery technology. So last summer, they lifted that cap on ownership. Foreign companies like Samsung and others can now own a majority. That should open up some movement there. In, 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 in China, in even China. if it's owned by, the, say, a Korean or a Japanese company? Yes, yes. Because the Korean company would feel, oh, I have control over my destiny, and there is a market and the government wants this to happen, I, I could see some improvement there. Is there any pushback in <coughs> that something like 80% of China's electricity comes from coal, mm. <laughs> and there's been some studies that suggest pollution will actually get worse? worse. Now, yeah. overall, you, you probably move some of it out of the cities, and that, that would be good, but... And I know there's all this talk. They're not going to build any more coal plants. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. They've got plenty. They're talking about all this green and renewable stuff, mm -hmm. which is terrific. That's going to take decades to put in place. You're right, John. I think it's uh, with the electric cars and the coal plants, it's location, location, location. If they can clean up the skies of Beijing and Shanghai and Guangzhou a little bit, they're going to claim victory, even though the rural areas will be probably worse off because of the is it your sense that, that, in, that in, the, in the big coastal cities where the you know, pollution is just extraordinarily bad? Mm -hmm. um, extraordinarily bad. Right. And Off the it, charts. Is it your sense that this has gotten to kind of where we were in the United States in the late 60s, early 70s, where it's really become like a political, social problem, possibly also an economic problem, that the government just can't ignore? I mean, is that where we're at with that? It's, it's a huge concern for the people at the highest levels of power in China. There's uh, one illustration is there's a artist from Guangzhou, 27-year-old artist, uh, called Jian Guo Xiong Di. So uh, let's call it China Brother. This is a rough equivalent. He goes around Beijing with an industrial vacuum, sucks up the air, takes it home and creates bricks of dust, <laughs> and then puts them online and makes artistic bricks and says, this Beijing is what you're breathing. So 
the government sees that and it goes viral and they really want that very sensitive how do we change perceptions because it can get out of hand they're concerned yeah. general motors is bringing the buick envision to the u.s mm. from china did that surprise you that that that, that happened and it, what's your take on that it surprised me that it happened that quickly uh you certainly in the back of one's mind most buicks are built and sold in china like 80 percent globally mm -hmm. are in china so that everything's there but the um how quickly they get to a quality level that is acceptable and gm must feel must have done its homework to say we're going to ship this thing in better mm -hmm. good shape so the speed with which it happened did surprise me yes one thing, so a few years ago, I remember asking the question, why don't you know, the, the uh, European or the Detroit automakers back ship vehicles that they make mm -hmm. in China? And one of the answers that I got was, well, look, you know, we're, we're pretty much maxed out on capacity. We, you know, we, we just right. don't need to do it mm -hmm. because we can sell every single one and then some in China, so why bother? Um, is that, is that, has that changed now? Has, has demand and capacity kind of moved into a different relationship? Yes. Capacities raced way ahead of demand because the projections were so, so uh, optimistic. And um, it's putting pressure in the local market and they're saying, well, extra capacity, what do we do with it? How much extra capacity do you figure there is? Depends who you ask. I'll I ask knew you. that was coming. <laughs> uh, say if sales were 27 and a half million last mm -hmm. year, by some estimates, it's on the order of 35 million. So a gap of 10 million, an That's excess of 10 million. Huge. And that's, but that's the also, if you talk to people who, who, uh, who buy and sell steel for a living, mm -hmm. um, uh, they'll talk about the massive Chinese overcapacity mm -hmm. in that sector, mm -hmm. which has screwed up the markets and world markets for steel, or, again, according to a, the point of view of, a, of an American uh, producer or, mm -hmm. or business person in that sector. Um, 10 million vehicles is an awful lot. It's, it's enormous. And consolidation doesn't come easily in China because governments city governments and provincial governments and central governments all have ownership in car companies that employ people and uh, provide tax revenue. So <clears throat> it's not a market economy and everyone's adding capacity pell-mell. Uh, they already have too much capacity. If the market goes flat or declines for some reason, we're going to have a lot of cars that need to find a home. And that's kind of the, f the furnace in the basement of the effort to build brands and build quality yes. to to go outside. That's right. Most people don't know this, but the U.S. actually exports a lot of cars. Mm -hmm. I think we exported 2.8 million yeah, yeah. last year. Mm -hmm. The second largest <clears throat> export market for the United States was China. Mm. This is, seems to be <laughs> totally lost. People are not aware of this. And so <clears throat> what I'm curious about, it, and the question I'm getting to is, China has, I think it's a 20 or 25% import mm -hmm. tariff. Mm -hmm. and, and we still, export an awful lot of cars there. Mm -hmm. I should hasten to add, most of them are BMWs and Mercedes-Benzes right. made in the United States that right. are exported there. But even with this, this import tariff, mm -hmm. they sell well. China, when it exports cars here, like the Buick Envision that you mentioned, Michelle, or the, the mm -hmm. Volvo S90, pays a 2.5% import mm -hmm. tariff. Mm -hmm. With the Trump administration, I can't believe that's going to remain. Mm -hmm. Isn't this going to screw up the plans that companies like General Motors and Volvo had to export cars here? Right. They're, they're, they must be highly concerned, and they would hope that China would drop its 25% to something like 10. Uh, because imports as a share of the total market last year were still, was still under 5% in China. So imports, 
figure, so such a small factor in the Chinese economy. Numbers are big from the U.S., but relative to the total market in China, they're not big. And it would yeah. look good politically, I would we'll guess. It will look good very politically if they say, we understand you're at 2.5%, two, two we're at 25 we'll cut it in half. That's not good enough. It's going to have to be 2.5. Two and, two <laughs> yeah. and in fact, I think Trump will just say, no, say zero. leave it where it is. We're going to raise uh, ours. Okay. That's what I think is going that to would, happen. That would be painful for a How lot of people. How do you think this is all going to play out with uh, uh, China being in uh, Trump's crosshairs? He'll go for the touchdown, the home run, and then scale it back. So he'd say flatten the duty rate should be zero. You owe us that. And oh, by the way, you should lift the ownership cap on foreigners. Why not? No other country has this thing in place. And probably you should pay us some fee for all the goodwill that we brought in technology. To build the wall, because the Mexicans <laughs> won't pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so then it'll come back to, but the Chinese are tough negotiators, and they love the fact that they, it's not just the auto industry they protect. Right. They're saying, that's ours, and we're not going to give way soon. So they might reluctantly say, all right, we understand. We'll, we'll invest in the United States, create jobs, leave us to run our own ship as it is. I think that's the direction. We will bring money to the U.S. And Trump will say, how much? And so what would your advice to Trump be uh, in terms of negotiating with, uh, with China? Uh, you, just you keep it simple and say, look, uh, the Chinese respect uh, you when you're tough and direct and firm and don't give, they respect, whatever they might say, uh, that's what they respect. So he said, whatever your terms are, we're going to match it. Uh, we want reciprocity. Whatever the terms are for our companies going in there, you'll, we'll, we'll make the same for Chinese. Lower yours, it'll be easier for you coming this way. Keep yours high, you're going to have headaches. So that's, that's what uh, I would recommend. Reciprocity. Level the playing field. Right now it's not level. Boy, Very pop good. the popcorn. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. <laughs> well, I mean, it? it seems like, well, and, and real quick, we're down to the very end. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and I guess the question I have is, I mean, see, look, it seems like from the finished car point of view, um, the big markets are sort of turning into islands, which are all protected because, you know, because mm -hmm. exports of vehicles have this high visibility. I guess the question is, there's still a very large ship, you know, ship, transshipments of parts and components and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like that's critical for the U.S. automakers n not to have go by the wayside, right? Mm -hmm. Very, very delicate situation. All those manufactured parts in China coming this way. Still a significant thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very. And with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Michael Dunn, thanks so much for coming thank on Online. Always Pleasure. great to have you here. Michelle, Joe, want to thank the both of you. And of course, got to thank all of you for having tuned in.